And we're off. We are? Oh, no surprise. Way. No Steph this time. Oh. I missed the one on Steph. I have to go listen to that one. I haven't listened to it yet. You know, it was kind of chaotic. It was, uh, I feel bad for anybody that didn't enjoy it. It was, we had tried to record one like mm. early. We were fresh in the day. Yep. And then Gianna woke up from her nap. We had to pause mid recording. And then Gianna was just practicing her voice and practicing screaming. So then we tried to do it at like 10 o'clock at night. And it was just a, it was a long one. It, uh, not actually long, but it was just a long day to try to yeah, that's salvage fair. it at 10, you know? Um, and I realized that I missed Steph's birthday. I texted her the day after, but I kind of blame you. She did. Yeah. Well, you know, we were all sorts of caught up in seek 2022. Oh, was were like, you? Yeah. How'd that go? Uh, you know, I, I actually enjoyed it more than the first go around. There mm. was something about, it was a much more intimate, you know, and only that at the Omni, it was only the Colorado schools, as opposed to the first one I went to, that was like 20,000 kids. Right. Where the heart was there. That's right. The yeah. heart was in a box the down the hallway. The um, and this one was just like pretty low key. Um, cool. and they did all the, the virtual stuff. But Steph was like thriving. Oh, that's fine. She loved it. She saw all her old friends. All the above. You did a little breakout session. I did. I wasn't thrilled with my talk, but like my podcast. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think it was. I think there was some good content in there. But I just, you know, sometimes when you're when you do talks, you know this. When you give talks, sometimes you're on and sometimes you're not. And you know what though? You are your harshest critic. That's yeah, that's probably true, but that's that's a good thing. I it is. I actually do agree with that. Um but yeah, I feel like most of your homilies, you're like, meh, it was okay. And then everyone's like crying in the pews. They're yeah. Like, this was phenomenal. Yeah. I, I wanna have some let like, that, let I that settle some, in. I wanna have some witty response to that right now. <laughs> Just soak it but up. I don't have a witty response. Father John Neppel has started referring to the Lord's thirty because his big Everybody talks to Father John through the back channels, you know? <laughs> and so, and then he, he doesn't do back channel. He just is in your face. And he's like, Larkin, I'm hearing about the Lord's 30, which is uh, a 30 minute homily. Oh, and I'm like, double no, overtime. No, we don't, we don't do 30. I'm like 23. Yeah. Right in there, which is probably too long. I probably need, I want to keep it right at 20, I think is a good length, but there's a lot of debate out there about how long a homily should be. I think it depends on content. Like, and, is it and entertaining? Delivery. Not entertaining. Not entertaining. Well, yeah, I kind of stand by that. I mean, it. you know, if you're up there talking about a 200-page poem, I'm probably less inclined to. Whatever. You liked it when spend. I referenced it at the gala. <laughs> That's right. It was a good, there was a good reference at the gala. I just will never let you live that down. Yeah. Um, yeah that, uh, I'm glad it went well. It, it did. Steph is what, like? Like 17 now? That's right. Yeah. 17 going on 18. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and She's young. She's a baby. She's she not is. 30 yet. She's what, like 27? No. 28. Eight. Yep. 28. 28. And she is just thriving as a mom. I have to give her credit. She's, Gianna had a, <laughs> had a rough night of sleep last night. Did she? And Steph, it's just funny. She is, jumps out of bed when she needs yeah. to. And we're trying to work on our pediatrician kind of punked her and was like, you need to let Gianna cry a little bit and like self-soothe. But up to this point, it has been mission impossible. Yeah. Um, like emotionally. Yeah. It really sucks when you hear him just crying. Um, Mary but Rogers will talk about like how after you're a mom, when you'll, even if you don't have little, little kids anymore, that if you hear a baby crying, like the, the grocery store, mom instinct just like kicks in yeah and every, every woman in the grocery store is like where's that baby <laughs> totally, you know totally. yeah it's uh so we're going to boulder this weekend um and yeah we just kind of put it on pause with uh all things seek which yeah she loved it i thought it was great i ended up having a really great confession and i don't know who it was they did like the 
the big auditorium with like a ton of priests yeah, showed up. Yeah, I've but, heard confessions that way before. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, that that aside, um, that's a whole nother thing. But he's a older, like uh, Franciscan. Okay. So older than Father John Lager. Okay. And I, but I've, I feel like I've seen him before, but I have no idea who he was. But he was just this really sweet, that's my shout out this week. Yeah. Really sweet older man. It was just like, a sage he just like speaks to yeah. you it was phenomenal that's awesome yeah it was good i've got two shout outs yes so one i was telling i told patrick this so yesterday after school i went over to the pickup line and uh the stefanics had a new dog so i went to go see the new they have a cute little puppy uh, named hana and um but i was walking back and harry who uh, is our business manager here at the parish. Harry's grandkids, he's got these cute grandkids, Ignatius and Augustine, and they call them Iggy and Augie. And I always forget which one's older, but one of them, I don't even know if it was the older one or the younger one, but either Iggy or Augie, it was so funny. He comes out of Harry's office and he sees me, he's like, Father Brian! And I'm talking to him or whatever. I'm like, hey, you being good for your grandpa? And he goes, you have a huge belly, <laughs> just like my grandpa. And he started punching me in the gut. Yeah. And I was like, sorry, kid, I'm working on it. I'm like, these are, you know, priesthood has consequences. No shame. It was pretty funny, though. No it was shame. Super cute. I wish I would have seen it. It was really funny. Nothing like a kid to just tell you the truth. That's right. They just look at you and like, they're like you're fat and That's lame. Right. And I'm like, I know. Wouldn't it be nice? Why do we lose that? Honesty becomes like harder. I think like as we start to pleasing. care more about what people think about that was, us. Yes. Right? Yeah. And then as you get older, you don't care anymore. And then you start saying things that you probably shouldn't because they're just mean. Right. But that's one shout out. I have a second shout out though. So I showed Patrick this little book uh, and it was sent to me from kind of a spiritual son of mine, uh, a guy named Joe Hate, H-A-Y-D-T. Uh, Joe is a, uh, someone I care about a lot and um, he's a brilliant brilliant young man. He's, he's probably about 30 now, but anyway, Joe's married. He, um, he's finishing up like a, I think it's a double doctorate at the university of Chicago. He's very, very smart and just a good man. And I love him. But anyway, the cool thing about that book, Patrick's got it right now. So that book is the apocalypse of Ezra. Uh, and it's in three languages. It's in German, Greek, and Latin. But the reason he got it for me, and this is very thoughtful, it's kind of cool. So open that front cover, Patrick. So do you see the name of the, the person who has their name in the actual book? E.P. Sanders? That's right. <clears throat> so E.P. Sanders is one of the most important scripture scholars in history. And Joe is in a library and found his book, E.P. E. Sanders' book. And he was like, and he wrote me a, little, a nice little note. And he just said, hey, Brian, I was... In the library, I found this. I'm sure you already have a copy of it, which I do, but I have it in English. Uh, and he said, I saw E.P. Sanders had this book, so I thought of you, and I thought you'd like to have that. And That's super nice. It was incredibly thoughtful. So, Joe, shout out to him, even though he doesn't really believe in the modern scripture scholarship project, but that's another podcast. So, It'd be really rad if any listeners could do the same thing for me, but it was like Tom Brady. <laughs> That would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Um, actually, and I have one more really quick. Yes. Who, and I feel so bad because this story had been passed around. I've met him one time in the softball league, but up at Nativity, there, he was at CU with you. And I think maybe his wife too. John Hamill. Yes. John and Kristen Hamill. Yeah. Kristen Hamill is, yeah, they're a great couple. is slinging around our podcast up there. Oh, thanks, Kristen. That's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Um, they're good, faithful Catholics. They're, I mean, super nice. I just, you know, I'm not up there all that often. Um, but yeah, I heard about that. They passed it along to, I think maybe Jess or someone. It kind of went through the nativity chain and I was like, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So I walk into church every time, like super confident and then no one knows me. I just got to start speaking. You do need to start speaking. Um, okay, so we have a listener question today. Yeah, so we've been meaning to get to this one. Kate Duker, who's a parishioner here at Our Lady of Lords, uh, she sent us a nice podcast, or not a nice 
a nice, she said it's a nice <laughs> podcast. She sent an email and she was asking about, uh, she's like, you know, my husband grew up in a Protestant uh, tradition. I grew up Catholic and had a question kind of about predestination and free will. Um, but specifically as it relates to suffering. And so the question was really about if suffering comes our way, how much are we free to kind of try to alleviate and avoid the suffering, use medical technology? And at what point do we just say, this is God's will for my life? Um, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a really good question. And then uh, she says, tied to the first question, uh, can we touch on the importance of suffering and the value it provides both the individual and the church? So really light questions today. Yeah. <laughs> really, you know, kind of I, just banter talk. This is like Joe Rogan stuff. It's just, well, he does deep stuff, doesn't he? He does. I don't actually listen to him. He's in a little bit of hot water right now. I know. Uh, I followed that. Hmm. But. Double whammied. But, but really good questions. Like, yeah. And what, how far can we go really to avoid suffering in our lives? And how much do we just say, well, this must be God's will for my life. I feel like this is going to be one because those questions are phenomenal. And I have a initial thoughts, but I have a feeling we're going to walk away being like, yeah, I'm going to go hurt myself today. Cause I deserve it. Like there's gonna be some like mic drop. That's going to change my opinion, but it, I mean, it's, I've never truly thought about it all that much, but oh. when I heard the question, I was like, wow, that's yeah. a really interesting thing. I've never really thought about. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's a great question. It's a, I was, it's funny. I was talking to Alicia Kleeman about this yesterday a little Alicia. bit. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. And, uh, it's a bit of a complex question. Uh, but in the Catholic mindset, uh, I think the key to this, so there's all kinds of passages in scripture that talk about suffering tons. I mean, uh, so for instance, we can even talk about the Beatitudes, right? Uh, that's the reading for this weekend. Luke's version of the Beatitudes, by the way, Luke in Luke's gospel and G and Matthew's gospel, the Beatitudes blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of God. They're different in Matthew versus Luke. And people are like, oh my gosh, I can't trust scripture, you know, and how is this possible? And Luke even has, when Jesus gives his sermon in Luke, it's on a plane, uh, like a, like a field, just a flat field, you know, plane. Um, like a Southwest flight? Yes. It's like on a <laughs> Southwest flight and Pontius is the pilot. Nice. But well he's played. A, he well, is, time out. Well played. Okay, like that was good. awesome. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> but, um, what happens is, so in Luke's gospel, it's the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew's gospel, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And people have wrestled with this forever of like, what was it? What's the answer? And I forget if it's Jerome or Augustine, but one of them, I find this hilarious. They were asking him like, well, was it a Sermon on a Mount or a Plain? And he's like, it was a plateau. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, that's a, that's a creative answer. Yeah. The much better answer for that is that Jesus is a traveling preacher. And so the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain constitute essential, essential teaching, the core of his message of what it means to be a Christian. Um, and so it's likely that Jesus would have done both, that he would have probably given similar content in a lot of different places. And so even me as a, as a preacher at two parishes, there's, there's things that it gets a little tricky for me where I'm like, did I give this sermon yet at St. Louis? Right. And luckily at St. Louis, I've only been there six months, but I talk, as you know, I speak every single day. Yeah. And to come up with new stories and illustrations and teachings every day is impossible. It's just <laughs> new it's, analogies. It's impossible. New, yeah. You can't do it. Yeah. And so, so Jesus very likely gave similar content fairly regularly, but, uh, that doesn't mean it was verbatim. In right. Place. But I also feel like thinking about that, like today it would be more noticeable, right? Like, but if you were in that time yep. and you move 300 yards south, like South, it's not being put on the internet. It's not like the, the yeah, exactly. same redundant message. You kind of probably find your message and stick with it. Yeah. But anyway, so, so like we've got, so this Sunday we have Luke chapter six and, uh, and the Beatitudes in Luke six and Luke has 
the Beatitudes, the blessings, blessed are you, and also woe to you, which Matthew has, but they come later in his God. They're not together with the Beatitudes in chapter five. Um, but here's one that relates to the question that Kate sent us. So, so for one passage, uh, this is Luke six twenty two. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Um, pick up your cross and follow me. You know, there's there's tons of passages that relate to suffering in the New Testament. We'll talk about a couple of them, I think, today. Um, but this is what I was telling Alicia, is that the Catholic mindset, though, uh, gives you a key to understanding these passage passages in a way that's much more healthy. Uh, then sometimes it can go awry when you, when you get away from the church, when you get away from the tradition. And so, so some people out there, you know, they can get the mindset of like, oh, I'm just supposed to be miserable. Right. And to be a Christian means I should really, I just choose suffering all the time. Um, and that's not, that's not right. That's not the, the proper way. Now, one more passage in second Corinthians. Um, so Paul in second Corinthians 12, this is a very famous passage. Second Corinthians 12, he'll say, this is where God gives, um, Paul, it says that, he, that uh, let me just read it. It says, um, he says to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. So, by the way, that's a famous passage that no one knows what that is. What's the thorn in Paul's flesh? What's the thing that's like really hard for him? What's the suffering? What is it? No one knows. Um, Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest on me. Rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So people read things like that and they say, I'm just supposed to suffer. Like, I'm, like life is supposed to suck. You know, it's supposed to do what a vacuum cleaner does. <laughs> and and so, so we think that, and, and so the, it's easy to get into a place of, to be a Christian means I always have to choose what's worse for myself or what's hardest. You know, and Jesus in the gospels will say, uh, you know, if you're going to be the servant or the, the head of all, you should be the servant of all. If you go to a banquet, take the last place. And so it can seem like I'm just supposed to choose things that are bad. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I, I could go off forever on this. What do you, what do you, what do you think of here? I feel like the, the initial thoughts, especially when I read it is sometimes you know the circumstance where it's like, I went to holy hour for 25 minutes. And then someone else is like, I went to holy hour for 30 minutes. Right. And it becomes and kind like, of this. I, I see you're 30 and I'll raise you. That's right. Yeah. Well, 32. I actually came back and stayed for 31 minutes. Right. And it, it starts kind of like one upping. Out Catholicing each other. That's right. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like, and I definitely don't want to go there, but it, my first kind of introduction to this, again, because before becoming Catholic, none of this stuff, even infertility, you know, any of that kind of stuff was like, oh, if science can solve it, we go for it. Like, that's your deal. Then I started to become aware of it. And you and I talked about this a little bit when COVID first started happening. Mm-hmm. And it was this like generosity to your neighbor versus like, are you supposed to suffer and all this kind of stuff. And it that was kind of my first scenario, but then it, the messaging, and again, I was just so new to it, but it kind of felt that way of like, nope, this is, if that's my destiny, then I'm, that's, we're not supposed to alter that. And, yeah. and I don't know if I fully agree with that. Right. Wait, say that one more time. I'm not sure I cut that last part. That this like stance of if this is, if it's happening to me and it's my cross and that's my like destiny. Like getting COVID, you mean? Getting COVID or, or just anything. A, like anything. But yeah, I first started to kind of 
hear that with the COVID scenario that I was like, wait, what? But then it can apply across the board of like, this is my cross right now. Therefore, right. So if this I'm is supposed God's to survive, will. that's right. Yeah. I don't like that at all. And I think that's right at the heart of what Kate is asking. Yes. Yeah. That's where it kind of resonated me when I heard this. Cause I was like, man, but it, it often, like when I hear it, I kind of cringe when it comes from a place of like, I'm, I'm supposed to do this for God or supposed to do it for the church or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, some Tylenol could help you. Yeah. Like, is yeah. that bad to take? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And this is where Catholic theology is so good, but there's a lot of Catholics out there, right? <laughs> we always make this distinction. There's a lot of Catholics out there who are good men and women, but who don't really know Catholic theology that well. Yep. And this is a very common problem in the Catholic faith, I would say, and in Christian circles in general. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so one of the, to try to start moving towards a solution to this, um, a couple things that I think are really helpful here. So one, what is God's will for our life? Well, uh, I think it's in second Thessalonians, St. Paul says, God's will is your sanctification. So God desires for you to become holy. Yep. I think people over-spiritualize things all the time. And they say, oh, this is, oh, that's so God's will. That is so, oh, that's so God's will. There's a great book I would recommend to everyone. I know that's a shocker. Uh, this one's a page turner. I don't know if you read, you might've read this one. It's, um, He Leadeth Me. I would never. No pick a title. It's a like weird, it's a weird shelf. title. It's what's well, from like the old, <laughs> it's like the old English version of Psalm 23. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want in verdant pastures. He gives me repose by the still waters. He leadeth me. Gosh, you didn't even give me a chance to say it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know you were thinking <laughs> Psalm 23. There goes a monitor. That's okay. Whoops. Um, that's how we roll on Gregorian rant. There's always something going on. Knock the computer screen off the desk. But okay, we're still rolling. That's we're still how we rolling. Go. And we're off. It survived, actually. And the, and the monitor's off. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, we're still good. But wait, wait, that, that's a great book. And it, one of the main themes of that book is about what is the will of God. And it's a story. The reason it's so interesting, it's a true story of a Catholic priest from the United States. And it's his, it's his autobiography. But it's... But as he's telling his story of his life, he wrestles with where was God, what was God's will? Yeah. And that it's just a phenomenal book. I don't think I'm given too much away by this, but he, cause it's well known, but father Walter Chiswick is the author. He was a Jesuit and right. His story is that right after, um, right before world war two, he was in Rome and he volunteered to kind of go to Russia to help convert Russia back to Christianity because Russia has become communist by this time. And so he's volunteered to do that. Well, he's ordained a priest. They can't get him into Russia. So he goes to Poland. And right when he's in Poland, early in his days as a priest, World War II breaks out. Ooh. And he takes a train into Russia with his people because Russia's invaded Poland. And he's arrested as a Vatican spy. And it's, and he, it's, it's an incredible story. He, wow. he was put in solitary confinement in red square in Moscow. Um, he just tremendous stuff. He was sent to the gulags, um, uh, and the, to, to the work camps to suffer. And he suffered, you know, they, they malnourished them and they'd be in the bitter cold of work camp working all day. It's a crazy story. I recommend it to anyone. It's one of my favorite books. Um, but father Chizik, here's what he says. He says, how do you know God's will? You know, how do you know, was it, was it God's will for me to suffer that? Right. And I love what he says. He says, and I think this is a hundred, I think this is theologically very sound. What Walter Chiswick says is you can't know God's will except for his explicit commandments and things revealed in scripture on the, on the, on the one hand. So it's on the one hand, like, you know, people come to me and they're like, Father Brian, should I move to Omaha or should I stay in Colorado? What's God's will? unless you have a vision of some kind, you're not going to know. Okay. And, and this will lead me to a second point in a second. But so on one side, father Chiswick says you, all you know, in God's if God's will, all, you know, and I, I want to scream this at young adults in Denver because I think, I think young adults in Denver really, really get this wrong. But, um, 
God's will is not something that's just easy. Like I prayed for a couple hours and I decided God's will for sure is for me to date this girl instead of that girl. Yep. It's not how it works. Um, so Chizik says, on the one hand, you can't, the only thing you can know about God's will is his commandments, his revealed teaching in scripture. Um, and that's kind of all you can know. But then on the other side, he says the flip side of the coin though, is that what you can know about God's will is that every moment of your life is a moment given to you by God. And that you should receive every moment as God's will for you right in front of you. And so you uh, and I are in this room right now on this podcast. Yeah. And we know, and this, the, I think these two things go together, is people love to abstract God's will. And, I, and, and this will lead me to one last point, and I'll throw it back to you, but but, but Chiswick would say, you can't really know God's will, except you know that the person in front of you, you and I are sitting in front of these microphones. And I know that God's will for me is I'm supposed to love you as my, my brother in Christ. In this moment. In this <clears throat> moment. And I'm supposed to receive you as that you as a person are actually a gift in my life coming from the hand of God. And, even, and not just people, but even situations. And so, so on the one hand, if I'm like, hey, should I become a diocesan priest or a religious order priest? And this is, this is the last point, and we can try to flush it out if you want. The last point is the Father John Nepple turned me on to this, and it just makes eminent sense to me. So in the, in the modern Catholic world, the language of discerning God's will goes to St. Ignatius of Loyola, who's the founder of the Jesuits. And St. Ignatius has, he, he has the spiritual exercises and it's all about discernment. But there, there's, there's a couple of things in there that we've brought in that we've taken it out of context. So the Ignatius's language around discerning things, the entire spiritual exercises, the 30 day retreat. That's when I did my 30 day silent retreat. Yeah. It all is built towards the high point of that retreat is I make a decision about a state of life. Meaning, am I going to be a priest? Am I going to be a consecrated? Or am I going to be someone who is going to get married? And then at the end of the spiritual exercises, Ignatius has what are called rules for the discernment of spirits. What he means by that is when I feel a movement in my soul, fear, hope, frustration, joy, whatever it might be, Ignatius gives rules for understanding where that spirit comes from. But here's the bit. And so here's, I know this is long and drawn out, but here's what Father John says. And I think he's so dead on is that Ignatius wrote those rules for discerning the spirits in us. And he wrote the spiritual exercises for a specific context. And the context is, am I going to be a religious or a priest or a married person or what, what state am I supposed to live in? It's not, there are not rules for who do I date? Where do I live? Okay. What medicine do I take? Did the, is this jerk living next door to me for, from God or not? That's not what the spiritual exercises are about. They're about one thing specifically. They're about, are you going to enter religious life or not? That's the question of the spiritual exercises. And what happens say is very pious and I, not to pick on you young adults too much, but it's a little bit, I kind of like to do it. We over spiritualize things. Yeah. And so the Dominicans founded by St. Dominic, I guess, and father John was telling me this and it makes t- so much sense to me. The Dominicans are like, that's not, you don't discern actions except for you, you discern states of life. But their big thing is, you don't, you don't do that. You don't say, and this is back to Kate's question. Can I take this medicine? Do I avoid this suffering? Do I end this relationship? Do I marry this guy? How do, how do I make these decisions? The Dominicans say, that's not a spiritual thing. That's the virtue of prudence. And I love that. So what does that mean? So prudence, prudence? prudence means practical wisdom. And so it's not, it's not, I go in my room, I shut the door. And I ask God to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. Prudence is that, that virtue, it means practical wisdom. 
It means that I understand kind of the wisdom of God and just the wisdom of what it means to be a human being. And then I apply it to my life and I make a decision. I make a decision. Oh, so deep. Okay. I love that stuff. And so, so I think today what we do is we over-spiritualize God's will. Does that make sense? So people are like, you know, the the caricature is like the, when you're dating, you know, (laughs) and you know where this is going. You know, guys, you don't want to tell your girlfriend that you don't want to break up with her anymore. Or that you don't want to date her anymore, but you want to break up. And you're like, you know, I just, I prayed about this and it's, I just discerned it's, it's God's will that we're not supposed to date anymore. It's, and I'm just like, the hell it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, just tell her you don't want to date her anymore. It's harder to do, but that's what you should do. It's kind of the trump card. It totally Like, you're is. like. You can't, you can't come back and what be do, like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? Well, I prayed about it and God wanted me to tell you, you're wrong. Yeah. Like, what do you do with that? I, so. I have to ask a question then, um, rookie question, but then what, what are you supposed to get out of adoration? Cause I feel like yeah. most people go to adoration to find, or they're searching for an answer. This is a good podcast today, right? Kate Duker. These are, this is the, thanks this for the is question. deep. Yeah. But like, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people walk in like, um, like, you go in with your notepad, you go like you have the question and you're going to sit there in front of Jesus for an hour, whatever it is. And you're hoping to walk out with an answer or some discernment, which I hear all the time in adoration. So what do you, what are you supposed to get out of that? So I I, a hundred percent believe, right? God, God, of course can work through our desires. Right. And he can shed light into those things, but it's just so easy to over-spiritualize this. Yeah. So what, so what are you supposed to do in adoration? So it's fine to go to adoration and be like, okay, uh, you know, God, I'm, I'm discerning or I'm thinking through prudentially. I'm trying to exercise the virtue of prudence, practical wisdom about whether or not I should stay at Lord's or start a parish in Hawaii. Yeah. Right. Um, and Lord, I, I would love it if you would send your grace and your light into my reasoning and my, the way I'm going to think through this. And help me to get to that. Now, you don't have to use that language. You can just, of course, you can just say, God, just show me which way you want me to go. The problem is everybody knows this, right? Like, um, people will say, like, one of the rules of St. Ignatius is that uh, Satan can't give peace. Hmm. They'll talk about that. Uh, it's a little bit more nuanced than that And what St. Ignatius says, actually. Um, St. Ignatius tends to say that if you're moving closer to God, God will give you peace. If you're moving away from God, it's actually the devil that gives you peace. Oh, right. Didn't see that coming. Because, because what the, the, the evil spirit is what he says. But his point, what he says is he says that um, when you're moving away from God, the, the person who has influence over you is the evil spirit. And so Ignatius says the job of the evil spirit is to confirm you in that direction. If you're going from what he says, he says, if you're going from mortal sin to mortal sin, the evil spirit wants you to keep going in that direction. And so he wants you to feel comfortable there <clears throat> and feel like, yep, this is right on. Whereas the job of the good spirit, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, um, your guardian angel, whatever it might be, the job of the good spirit is to throw obstacles in your way. Pangs of conscience, right? If you're like, I don't need to go to mass. I don't need to move out and stop sleeping with my girlfriend. I can just keep going this way. It feels great. It feels comfortable. The, the good spirit is the one in that case that's going to be an agitator to you. Conversely, right, if you're moving closer to God, the way the evil spirit works is to throw obstacles, discouragements, doubts. If you're like, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to grow in holiness, whatever. The evil spirit is going to say, it's too hard. You can't really do this. Look at how awful it is. You have to give this up. You should doubt God, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. But adoration. So, so what I want to get to though, is like, so in adoration, I think adoration, what it's really meant to be is it's not that you're supposed to get answers for your life. Adoration. And that's fine. If you do, that's not a bad thing. The real purpose of adoration is to love God more. It's to stop thinking about yourself. Yeah. And so like when I go into my prayer time, it's fine to bring like, there's plenty, you know, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He does care for you. And you can bring that to God. That's a good prayer, but more so, but a deeper form of prayer 
and this is what I gave in my kind of crappy seek talk is, uh, and so in Luke 11, Martha and Mary, Jesus talks about how, uh, Mary, uh, has taken the better part. Martha is anxious and worried about many things. And that word anxious is, uh, the verb form is Miriam nao, means to, to be anxious. And that's the same in the parable of the sower. When the, so when the seed grows up among the thorns, the same word, it's anxiety. So Jesus identifies the thorns with care, love of riches and worldly anxieties. Wow. And what anxieties do is they choke the word and they keep it from bearing fruit. So the weed, the, the, the word of God, that seed is growing, but then there's these weeds, these thorns grow up alongside it and it chokes the word. So when you go to adoration, I, I really believe this both in my own experience, but also because of what scripture teaches. In prayer, it's fine to ask for things. Our Father, Jesus teaches us to ask for things, but they're not like, hey, God, tell me which house to take. It's, yeah. give me today my daily bread, which is a prayer for the Eucharist. Yep. Right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Lead us not into the great tribulation, is really what the word should be there. Those are not like, Oh God, will you help me get this promotion at work? I have, not, I've got to get to work by 10. Please yeah. uh, don't let there be traffic. So I think adoration, that's what it's meant to be. Does that, does that kind of make sense? It's like it, when I go to adoration, what, what Mary does in Luke 11, Martha and Mary, the two sisters, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens and lets him teach her. And I think what most Christians do in our lives is when we pray, we're like, God, we just yell at him all the time. Like, I need this, 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 and this. Tell me how I should think through this problem. And I'm like, that's not what we're supposed to do in prayer. In prayer, we're supposed to take the Bible or a spiritual book, and we're supposed to let God speak to us instead of us telling him all the time what we need. So when, but that was going to be my next question is, do you think sometimes, um, especially with scripture, and if you don't have the knowledge of scripture that you do, yep. let's say in that example, you go to adoration and you're trying to hear God speak Yep. that when you come in in a certain frame of mind, you can find what you're looking for and hoping to hear from God through scripture. So like if you bring, I I still, yeah, I see what you're saying. I want to cut you off. No, no. Yeah. What I would say about that though, is our questions are always good questions, but what if God doesn't want to talk to you about what you think your biggest problem is? Right. What if he doesn't want to talk about that? If you're like, you're like, oh my gosh, there's this super beautiful girl, two pews in front of me every Sunday at mass. Lord, I just, I just need to know about this. What if God wants to talk to you about your problem of the worship of money in your life? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Because it's always an interesting thing, which it's so good to hear you say this because when you look at life with like forks in the road, yep. you know, which one do you choose? And yep. if you're going to come from the the mindset of like discernment and then you feel confident in that decision. But on the flip side, well, so I appreciate when you say like own your decision, Yep. which is also why sometimes outside of like the scripture piece and to what you said, like the 10 commandments or what, what God says. But sometimes I struggle with the concept of, of truly, if you're trying to avoid coming from a place of insecurity, asking somebody for advice on a life decision because they don't know your context and you don't know theirs. Yeah. Right. Um, so their life story, that's prudence. Right. So like, um, to me, it's always like, should I do this? And like, Ooh, don't touch the stove. Like it's a different reality yep. that you can't. And when you come to those forks in the road, you never like just making the decision and owning it. Cause you'll never really know the other side. Right. Yep. Like you'll never know Correct. Yeah. what would have happened in that scenario. So yep. just take it and own it, which is kind of a big thing where I've been like the importance of having your faith and living authentically in who you are. And, and I mean that from like, <laughs> you could be authentic in that moment and you're going to get slapped aside the head and be like, Ooh, that wasn't a great decision. But by the end of your life, whenever that may be, you've kind of worked through your own journey and path and can reflect on things. But it is, it does feel like sometimes where it's like this, you know, discernment of decisions um, 
and this thought of like, oh, there's peace around this. Like, I feel good about it. It's just an interesting concept yep. to not over-spiritualize People, I, I think it. we all do it. And I don't mean to, again, pick on everybody out there because I have done this in my life many times, but we want to avoid responsibility. Right. We just, and sometimes, ironically, one of the traps I think we fall into as Christians is we think obedience relieves us of responsibility for making decisions. Yep. And it's not the case. You have, you have free will and you have an intellect. You're supposed to use them to make decisions and to grow in wisdom and maturity as a Christian. And too oftentimes we're like, nope, God's will told me to do this. And so um, I think you're, you're dead on of like, you've got to own your decisions. You've got to work through them. You have your own context. You have, prudence means taking the principles of goodness and truth and God's revealed wisdom but it doesn't tell you how to live, how you're supposed to live it in Erie, Colorado in 2022. Right. It does in some issues, but prayer, like, and so with what I would say though, like what we think, what we oftentimes think as humans, we think the thing that's so important for our life is did I choose that job or that job? Right. And we agonize and what is God's will for me? And here's the thing that I kind of want to say, and this is a little strong today, is I want to say, get over it. It actually doesn't matter which job you choose. Yeah. And if, you're, if you chose the wrong one and it does what a vacuum does, then that's for you, Mama Larkin. Um, <laughs> if your job does what a vacuum does, you'll know it in six months or a year. Right. And, and use your prudence to change it. What really matters, and this is why prayer matters. We're so, we're so obsessed about this place versus that place versus this. What God wants to teach us, what your life at the end is really going to be about is not if you chose that job or that job, or if you lived in Denver or Seattle. The real difference in your life is, did you actually learn how to love God? Right. And if you're telling him all the time that you need him to answer all your questions, that's not what prayer is for. Prayer is meant, you're supposed to walk away from your prayer time and you spend an hour in the chapel or a half hour or 15 minutes, whatever it is, you spend 15, 20 minutes in prayer and you contemplated uh, Mary and Martha in that house and you fell in love in a deeper way with Jesus. Yep. And your heart said, wow, you know what? I want to be more like Mary. Like, Lord, I just want to, I envision Mary sitting there. Lord, I just want to be like that. Or you contemplate, you know, the easy one is the crucifixion always. Instead yeah. of thinking all the time about what, what my life is about, why don't you spend an hour or a half hour, wherever you're at, 20 minutes. And why don't you just literally, literally try to be present and imagine, we talked about this in the podcast one time, right? Yep. About Jesus's inner experience of isolation on the cross. Yeah. Like that, that's deep stuff. And you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll leave 20 minutes after that. And you'll be like, you're going to live a little bit different day that day. Yeah. Because you spent 20 minutes stopping to th stop thinking about yourself. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite lines from him, N.T. Wright talks about how every Christian needs to go through a Copernican revolution. Right. And Copernicus is the one who brought the revolution where it's not the sun that goes around the earth but the earth that goes around the sun. And I love this. What N.T. Wright says is so many of us, the, re the role that God plays in our life is it's like, we're the center of everything and the sun's going around the earth. Yep. God, where are you in my life? Where's that next job? How'd you let me down? Where's my raise? How come I got yep. a flat tire? Yep. yep. Where's that? Where's that guy? Where's the ring? And NT, I love the way he says this. And he says it in the context of justification, but he's like, you know, actually, the earth actually goes around the sun. The sun's actually the center, not the earth. And wow. I think, isn't that a profound stuff? Yeah, yeah. Because the thought too of when you use discernment for like individual decisions, not vocation-wise, but um, I've, and I've been thinking about this too lately of like, when you're kind of coming from that place, is that a time to also look at like, who you really trying to please and who you afraid of letting down versus right. like your decisions being a Christian and, and loving God more. It's like, I'm going to come and say, I'm going to move to Seattle because, you know, I feel peace and God wants me to do this. Yep. But it's more coming from a place of like, I want to deliver the blow softer Yeah. type of type of scenario. And I think when you, so I guess a question here when it comes, especially when it comes to like the suffering piece and thinking of Jesus on the cross isn't that a way to also look at keeping things in perspective and having gratitude? 
because, okay, your tire goes flat or yeah. something crazy happens. Um, but when you actually process that um, isolation of mm-hmm. Jesus on the cross and 20 minutes later, you're like, wow, okay, my problems don't matter. Yep. Yeah, I think that's right on. And so I don't want to insinuate that what happens in your life doesn't matter at all. But what I do want to insinuate is it matters less. What yeah. happens, Plato says this, who's a pagan. Plato, when he talks about morality of action, he talks about how things that happen to you at the end of the day are far less important than the things you choose. Because things that happen to you can't affect your soul. And your soul is what really matters. Oh, interesting. What does okay. affect your soul is what you choose. And how you respond and how you... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so oh, it's wild. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. Um, well, how much time we got? When, how long have we been going? We now? got about, we're at 45 minutes. Okay. So like, how does that, yeah. Okay. I, I was going to say, I forget, but how does that play into this suffering piece yeah. of what you should do? And I think specifically she had asked about like the orthotics piece or no, um, yeah, and just like paralysis, she used that in different, yeah. different like medical technologies. Yeah. So when do we say, you know, um, someone's in a bad car wreck and they're paralyzed from the waist down? When do we accept that as wow, this is God's will? And when do we say I'm going to do everything I can to learn how to walk again? Yeah. And here's what frees us in this, and this is great Catholic theology, is that discernment. And I don't even like discern prudence or decisions have to be ordered towards the good. Go on. So what I mean <laughs> by this is it's not just that everything that happens is God's will. And God in Catholic theology, there's there's a good distinction here of one more thing. God in in theology, we talk about God's positive, his positive will and his passive will. So God's positive will means I desire my son to die on the cross. That's God's positive will. That's, that's what he, he chooses. That's what he wants. His passive will is when he allows something to happen. And hence, your decisions impact that? Well, and so, and so, and so hence like, so like when Hurricane Katrina hits or the coronavirus, okay, got it. Yep. you know, people, people will say there'll be, I'm sure there were pastors out there saying, this is God's will. We've been sinful. This is God's pot. This is his punishment yes. on mankind. This is God's will. Purging Pardon my almost, French, yeah. but that pastor does what a vacuum does. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's so, it's so unintelligent. It's, it's just not true. The world was broken by the fall and things happen. Yeah. And there are consequences to human. And that's so what a Catholic thinker would say to this or a saint or a theologian is that's part of God's passive will. Meaning that if God wants a world where there is freedom and responsibility and these kinds of things, then, then there's possibilities that things can happen. And so he has, he has a will for that kind of a world where we have decisions that are real. Oh. But that doesn't mean he wants the coronavirus to happen or a hurricane or a tornado, right? And people talk about this stuff all the time. You know, they're yeah. like, they're like, how could God do this to me? No, 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 no. That's not, that's not thinking clearly, right? If you, if you have a disease, yeah, right? That's not God's positive will. It's part of his passive will that God desires a world where there's real freedom. There's real responsibility. There are consequences to the fall of Adam and Eve, which means that there is brokenness and death in the world. That's clear in scripture. But it doesn't mean that God willed for your grandma to die. First Corinthians 15 is clear on that. First Corinthians 15, St. Paul says that um, death is the final enemy of God. To be con- and Christ will conquer. The final en- death is not God's will. It's his enemy. And God wow. conquers it, but he allows death. So it's part of his passive will. He allows it. And why has God allowed it? This comes up every year in RCIA, as you know. But every year in RCIA, people are like, how could God allow this? And the point is, is that God had to allow a world. If, if there's going to be love, there has to be the possibility that people wouldn't love. Yeah. And death entered the world, not by God's choice, but by ours. 
but God allowed the type of world where we got to choose if that would be the case or <sighs> Okay. And, and as you're, I've never thought of this either, but as you're saying that, if you come from the stance of like, if anything happens, then that's your will. Wouldn't that have been proven with when Jesus approaches the blind men or the lepers or any of that kind of stuff and heals them? Um, instead, they would reject it and Jesus would take that and accept it of being, if they were to come from a place of like, this is my will, I believe in God, this is my will. Right. It wouldn't have been the story of he healed them. Does that make sense? Like, I don't, I'm not tracking. So if it was coming from a place of like, I got in a car accident and now I'm paralyzed. Yep. So this is my will. You could say the same thing of the person who became a leper. Sure. And so then the desire and ultimately asking the question of Jesus and getting healed. Yep. Wouldn't be the right thing to do. It'd be like saying, I'm paralyzed. Can I work through that? Jesus wouldn't have gone up and actually so, healed them, right? So I think, yeah, I think if I'm following right, so I think this leads to kind of the last point I want to make about the good. Yeah, God's, like, God's, desire, God's desire is for our good. Okay. It's for the good of all things. And this could go into deep stuff. We could have another hour on this podcast. Aristotle says it's impossible for a human being to choose an evil which I think he's right. So, what? so think of it this way. What, what he says is, is when we choose things that look evil, we're actually choosing good things, oh, but they're somehow okay. twisted or they're out of order. Yep. So for instance, a guy who cheats on his wife, yep. you say, wow, he chose something really evil. Actually, he was choosing something good, but he chose it out of proportion to what was a greater good. Right. Right. So he's so choosing love or choosing... Even people who commit suicide. Yep. What it's impossible for a human being, and this for Catholic thinkers, this is actually just a settled issue. Human beings can only choose goods. Yep. The problem is what Aristotle calls apparent goods. So, for instance, a person who chooses suicide, usually there's some kind of mental imbalance or something, mm -hmm. but oftentimes there's some kind of suffering happening. Yep. And they're not they're not trying to choose something evil. They're trying to choose something good. They're trying to say, "I want to choose to not suffer." That's right. Which is good. Yep. So that leads to this question from Kate. So with Jesus, so Jesus is always working to, to make the world what it should be. That's a big part of the New Testament. God's will is for our good. That's, that's you know, and I, I forget the exact verse in 2 Thessalonians, but God's will is our sanctification. It's to make us holy like he's holy. God wants our good. Now, sometimes to get to that good, we have to sacrifice lesser goods. But that has to be proportionate. And you can't do anything directly evil so that good may come. So you can't, Right, you can't rob someone to help a charity. Okay. Right. Um, yep. But um, so that and that's sorry, really quick. So that's where you cannot or you, you shouldn't accept the fact of like Katrina happened to. There's so much sin happening that God would allow this natural disaster to lead to less sin or whatever. Like it's yeah, a, that's crazy. Okay, that's got it. That's, that's, that also, that, that also falls into kind of the, the really, really unintelligent thinking of utilitarianism, which imagines that we can calculate greatest goods. Got it. Okay. Which, which is what utilitarianism pretends it can do. Okay. Can't do it. Um, same thing with that kind of thinking. That's really stupid thinking. Got it. Um, so, but like with, with Kate's question, when you, if you, so if you get a disease God's, God's will is always for our good. We're supposed to pursue health. This is why medicine is legitimate. Medicine is legitimate because when, and the reason you know authentic medicine versus something like contraception, this is the heart of why the church is against contraception. I was just going to ask this. Or okay. transgenderism or something like that. Or, and like even freezing eggs. Yeah. And the reason why is because medicine works towards a good and in harmony with our nature. So how do you know something's good? Well, gasoline's good for your car. Yes. But it's not good, right, for you. Yep. The reason is because you have a different nature than your car. And so, so your car, gas thrives. It helps your car thrive. For you, it would kill you if you drank gasoline. <laughs> I, mean, I think it would, at least. I'm not going to try it. Yeah. But <clears throat> so 
medicine is a great good. And so, so Kate, to try to answer, you're like, are you guys ever going to answer my question? The answer is as Catholics, we're supposed to pursue the good, but it has to be proportionate. So yes, if you get cancer, fight it with everything you've got. Yes, we should pursue goods. But the, the, the question comes is you should pursue that good unless it is taking away from a greater good. So I'll give you an example. So end of life issues, right? Yep. Um, we're scared of death. And so what happens is we know the nature of man. You have to, to know what is good for someone, you have to know what their nature is, right? Like, like we had a, a broken lock at St. Louis the other day. Yeah. And I don't know anything about locks, but one of the sacristans, Kristen was like, she's like, hey, FB, let's go get some WD-40 and maybe that'll clean the problem up. And I couldn't find any. And later on, a guy was like, oh, WD-40 is terrible for locks because it actually makes them sticky and then other stuff gets in there and it makes it worse. And I was like, oh. And that's because that's of how a lock works. Got it. If, if he's right, at least. I don't even know anything about it. But that's what Mark said. Um, so uh, a human being, so at the end of your life, right? Like you're going to die someday. So what's happening, one of the things that's very common today is we, um, the greatest good you have is your soul. Yep. And death is a part of human nature. And so one of the things, so it's a proportionality at the end of our life, people spend, we spend so much money in our country, putting people through really painful, uncomfortable, awful procedures and medicines and all these things. And it extends their life by like a week. Yeah. That's, that's not proportionate to the good, right? Like let your, and there's tons of secular doctors even saying this now, you know, it's a greater good for you. You're going to die one way or another. We could send your life by a month or two, but it's going to be super painful and awful. And you're going to be, it's going to be a terrible kind of thing. Um, and you gotta be careful here. Cause you can get into like euthanasia stuff, Yeah, which is another podcast. If people want to do it. We could talk about why euthanasia is wrong, but people like, if you're going to die, let, you know, you can let your parents die. You can let your grandparents die. We're all going to die. It would be disproportionate to go another way. So the difference, and let me just try to hammer this through at the very end here is that, so contraception for, and so we can take medicine because medicine, when it's, when it's proper medicine, it works in accordance with our nature. So I can take, um, I can go into a surgery. I can go to physical therapy and whatever, and it's going to help my body to function the way it's supposed to function. It works in accordance okay. with my nature. Yep. Using contraception wrong or transgenderism is because it tries to redefine your nature and change it, which is exactly what contraception does. Contraception changes, like certain contraceptives, right, with the, like the pill, they change the way a woman's biology works. Yeah. So it doesn't work in accordance with human good. It works against human good. Is that the same with like inf infertility, like the uh, freezing eggs? Some of, of them, the, the problem with freezing eggs is that um, freezing eggs, I don't know if we would have a problem with that. We don't like it. This is, we don't other, like it when yeah. we, when a human being is created as a medical experiment instead of through the loving union of a husband and wife. Got it. Right. Pope, Pope Benedict has a great line where he talks about how we make human beings into products. Got it. Right. And the other problem is usually like we freeze embryos. So when people do artificial insemination, they're like, oh, this is great. And they, they'll fertilize like 50 eggs and then they implant one of them. Right. Oh, what happens? Yeah. They just created 50 human lives. Yeah. And then they kill the rest. Got it. So, so at the end of the, so at the end of the day with, <clears throat> cause I, it never really makes sense to me when I do hear that the suffering is necessary. And especially now that you point out, if it's trying to like, if there's pain trying to get you back to where your body is supposed to be. Yep. Um, but this concept of like the suffering has a bigger purpose. So therefore like don't seek help in those things that are going to improve your life back to where it should be. Yep. So you should for sure seek help, but the, so the language in the new Testament around sacrifice and suffering and Paul in second Corinthians 12, right? Um, I rejoice in my suffering. Here's why. So the, the key concept is the good. 
what is good. And what Paul is saying is, um, the greatest good of a human being is to love God. And so, so, so you can sacrifice a lesser good if it is necessary for the sake of a greater good. Which would be loving God. Yeah. And so like Paul, because Paul has specific, specifically been called by God to give his life for him. Yep. That's why. And like, so for instance, a father sacrificing for their children, his children, right? If, if your children were in some kind of mortal danger and you laid down your life for them, that would be a good decision. It would be heroic because one, you're preserving the good of your children. And two, the greatest good that you have is your soul. But that doesn't just mean that every bad thing in my life, I'm just supposed to accept. Right. Right. You're it's wild. Yeah. And this, and to bring this all back, this is where the virtue of prudence comes in. So you're not required as a Catholic to get every medical procedure, but health is a good thing, right? Like, and, and God, God desires are good and he created the world good. And we're supposed to pursue what, not what is difficult. And again, St. Thomas, I tell people this all the time. I know I've said this on the podcast. St. Thomas talks about virtue and, and, the word virtue really means excellence. What is an excellence? And St. Thomas says, virtue consists not in what is difficult, but in what is good. So as like an athlete is the easy example, right? Sometimes you have to do difficult things to become a really good athlete. Yeah. But you don't do them just because they're difficult. There's lots of things we could do that are difficult. I could run into walls all day. That's difficult. That doesn't help me become good, right? Yeah. You, you, you pursue some things that are really good or easy. Um, but the, the, the key concept is not if it's difficult or not. The key concept is if it's good. So with the church, last question, now we're running over, but, um, and I'm sure we'll have a bunch of, you know, you'll get the particular question. Well, what about this? But yeah. the one I'm thinking of is when you use that analogy for sports, steroids. Would that would have to be you're changing yeah. beyond what you're meant to be? Yeah, that's right? a great question. I, I think feel like it'd be frowned upon. I, it would be, yeah. And I have to think through. I don't know enough about steroids and kind of how they work totally. I think part of the problem with that is like, um, I think a lot of doctors would say, you know, steroids are good in certain contexts. Yeah, but if you're just taking them all day to just get huge. Gosh, see, that's a good question. So yep. even the concept of like HGH, it's a naturally produced thing yep. that is supposed to like improve your ligament, do all this sort of positive stuff in your life. Yep. But in sports, when you reach a certain level physically, um, let's just say aesthetically, right? Like you try to lose all this fat, blah, 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 blah. You'll finally reach your threshold and you're kind of like, you can't go much further past that. Sure. So then people introduce HGH, steroid, any of that kind of stuff to get to a next level yep. that theoretically their body would never get to. Yeah. And I think that might be part of the problem with it. Okay. I'd have to think through that one. Yeah. But it's like, but then you're like, you're trying to, so, so Aristotle, right? Says that the problem in life is not choosing good versus evil. You never choose an evil. It's choosing goods versus either lesser goods or apparent goods. Yeah. And in that situation, I'd say you're choosing an apparent good, which is like the real good of your body is, is fullness and health. Yeah. It's not to be a magazine cover. Cover and vanity or exactly. making which a is, ton of money which, by doing and it. And which at that point, and that's, you know, we could talk about oh, that. That's interesting. We could talk about at some point in and of itself, if, if the human growth hormone is permissible, might be a question for Father Sean, but... um but at least then in a broader context, we could at least say you're probably at that point, there's a greater good, which is the good of your soul. Yeah. Which probably like, even if you have an authentic good for your body, I'm not sure that HGH would qualify as that. But if you did, you might say, Hey, like even, even going to the gym, somebody might say, Hey, it's really good. It's a really, it's a good to go to the gym and get healthy. And that's an authentic human good. Yep. But it's not good for my soul because there's all these half-naked women. Yes. And it's not good for my soul. And so actually it's okay for me to be a little fat because I don't want to lust after women. Totally. Because there's a greater good in my soul. So. <sighs> all right, we should wrap up. 
Great question, Kate Duker. Like she for the win. Us, that was, that was deep. Yeah, it's one of my favorite ones we've had. I think. Yeah. Um. So hope you made it to the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're actually not too far off where we normally are. Um. And we are close to what did I see the other day? Um. Seventy five thousand total listens. Great. Something like that. It's pretty crazy. I opened that, that up. Normally, Ryan Ryan's our stud on post production stuff, but I opened it up the other day. And I was surprised. I was just shocked and so grateful to see that. That's crazy to awesome. me. Um, yeah, help share us if it's helpful. We hope to, you know, there's all everybody's listening to Joe Rogan, which I think great. I've no, I've no problem with that. I don't really know what he even stands for, really. Um, but we need to get people thinking about God. Yeah. So uh, we hope we hope this is one tool that does that. So thanks for listening. Let us know. Next questions rant at lordsdenver.org. Later. Peace. <laughs>